Hi, I'm Luke Campbell and I work for a small wine company and he's... I'm Luke Morris and I work for... I work for... I can't tell you who I work for. It's a big company though. It is, sort of. And, <laughs> and together we are Luke's Talk Wine, who talk all things wine and booze and popular culture. Think about when to drink, why we drink it and the culture that surrounds drinking. Hello Luke. Hi Campbell, how's it going? Very good, thanks. This this week this week is a massive week for us. So this is episode two in our second season, and we've got a couple of topics to get through. This week's topic actually is what's what is good value drinking? What what's the meaning of value these days? And we've got a little bit of a, a listener question from far and wide uh, about the difference between old world and new world wines. But first, as usual. Um, Luke Morris, what's been happening in your wine world this week, pal? <laughs> hey, you got, got the W's, yeah. <laughs> you just got to accentuate the pal a bit more, and I'll be stoked. Uh, what um, what what's happened? Oh, I didn't get the um buyer job. If for for uh, long time listeners, uh, I applied for a job buying wine, and uh, uh, I didn't get it. Bad luck, they're going to miss out on your extreme amount and breadth of experience, so more fool them. Well, they they, they, they said that uh, oh, my, my wine knowledge was fine, there was just other things that they, I sort of, I asked, what could I do better? What 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 could be better? And they... Um, That's a good question to ask. Yeah, well, they what said, could you, you do know, better? apply for next time if you want. And I was like, okay, well, what, what would be better next time? And they're like, ah... Don't know. <laughs> right. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Well, the culture's good at the company, then. So, look out. <laughs> yeah. No, I guess like there's just you know there's plenty of younger dogs in the in the sea. All those people that know what wine trends are up to these days with kids drinking textual wines and what the meaning of a natural wine is and. The difference between that and biodynamic orange. There's probably a lot of stuff that I don't know. All the new things that kids are doing. Don't know. Yeah. Well, they've only been doing it since Roman times. So all those new kids in, you know, Fitzroy or the inner west of Sydney. Yeah, but that's the trend stuff. Fashionable. It's only been going since Roman times. So, you know, we'll we'll catch on sooner or later, I'm sure, Luke Morris. Oh, but that's what they're, I assume that's what they're buying. I don't know what they're buying. I don't know what they want. I've never understood what people want. Whoa. Well, we seem to have lost Luke Morris. Sorry, my microphone blipped out. We're going to cut back in with Luke Campbell continuing the conversation. We are in the midst of episode two. There's lots going on, but effectively we were talking about what's been happening this week. I did, Luke, you know, you mentioned you missed out on that job. Very, very very sorry more fool them because your experience is unrivaled uh so it's oh, pretty wild them, but I didn't i'm get... sure like yeah uh, I'd, 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 I'd say that uh alan rickman in the movie bottle shock probably displays <laughs> the same amount of knowledge that i have there's cast members within films that contain the same knowledge as me i'm, I'm not gonna propose to be the uh, zenith of uh, intellect on the topic of booze well, we love you right here on Luke's Talk Wine, so don't you go anywhere. <laughs> Just strap yourself in. <laughs> hey, but um, 
this week, obviously, I also I have, I have a little bit of a quiet week this week in in the world of wine, but I I have had been having a little bit of a chuckle, and I think you would share uh, my humour in this week of all the different Valentine's days promotions and uh, y- you know t- tables for two and couples for two. Uh, what I want to know is. You know, buy buy your lovely person, your significant other, a bottle of bubbles or a bottle of long neck of Carlton or whatever it may be. Wine lovers unite! All the crazy promotions. You never see any Menage a Trois or Menage a Quatre promos. What what's going on there? What what why are they just limiting it to couples? That's what I want to know because you can be romantic. Admittedly, it's not everybody, not for everybody, but you can be romantic with more than one person i think that's just i think it's a little bit well it's downright rude luke it sounds like some wishful thinking there mate are you uh are you hoping that you if you if you build it they will come sort of scenario are you <laughs> no 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 are you not, looking not for a little spice up to your life <laughs> you hey i'm one woman like man this? i'm one woman man but you know not everybody is happily married like myself it, you no. know, there are people, there are singles, there are, there are people in different styles of relationships. I just think that, you know, whether it be liquor stores or restaurants or bistros, I just think they're limiting themselves to couples. It just occurred to me and I thought, gee, this would be a great question to raise with you because you're <laughs> on the other side of things. You're, you're single and looking yeah, for love yeah, and looking to mingle. Not, so I'm what not, about you? I'm not having quadruples. No, I'm... <laughs> I'm a, I'm a single fella. There is Singles Day. Um, I don't think Australians. Um, uh, I don't think it's very prevalent in Australia, but it's a big thing over in, I think Japan and Singapore and lots of uh, countries over there. And I don't, I don't know where else it goes. But yeah, yep. Singles Day. I don't remember when it is, but that's a thing. Um, right. Okay. So so you you don't feel victimized by valentine's day or, or or left out because you know singles days is just around the corner so oh, no i feel me? left out i mean I've, well yeah well, that's what i'm, I'm thinking not, i'm not victimized i mean the people just don't think about me that's fine it's oh, everybody mate. else has a day go on you you know i, I you know that's it happens every year we, we don't celebrate it valentine's day it's a bit year, of a hallmark day for years, us we just move yeah. across sorry we don't, we don't we don't celebrate it in our in our uh, happily married life only because there's plenty of other days to celebrate. But um, you know, yeah. But I just I just thought, gee. Well, probably just... polyamorous people probably have each of their birthdays to celebrate. So there's there's a few. I don't know. True. Um, mm. They might have. They probably have their own scenario. Anyway, maybe maybe one, one half of the couple gets together on for breakfast and the other half gets together for lunch and then they all co-mingle for dinner. Yeah, with their favourite bottle of bubbles. Oh, fair enough. Hi, this is Luke Morris from Luke's Talk Wine. I've written some books, so visit lukemorrisha.com.au. Go there, see the books, buy one, support the podcast. That's lukemorrisha.com.au, L-U-K-E-M-O-R-R-I-S-H-A.com.au. Have a great day. Um, 
Which brings us to the first topic of the week, actually, Luke Morris. So <laughs> is there a segue is... there? Does it? Does it really? It does. Go on. Absolutely. <laughs> I th- this came up for me actually, and I wanted to drill down on this because it's changed over the years since you and I worked together many, many, many years ago. Now, are you getting good value out of your relationship? Speaking of which, <laughs> <laughs> what is good value? Like, is it? Is it? Two for one? Is it twenty five dollars? Is it what? What does that in wine wise? What is good value? And I'd love I'd love to hear from our audience on this too, because if they want to get involved in the show, they send us an email, don't they, Luke? How do they do that? Uh, the email address is uh, Luke's Talk Wine at gmail dot com. Perfect. That's right. Luke's talk wine at gmail.com. If you do want a question or to get involved or to contribute, but I want to know what is good value? What does it mean these days? And I want to define it here and now because (laughs) is it, is it value for money, Luke Morris, or is it quantity? Is it quality ratio? Let's, let's drill down on it. What's, what's value for money for you? Uh, me, Personally, see, I don't think you can define it because the worst question I ask in retail, the hardest question I ask should be the easiest, but it's how much do you want to spend? And then the person says, oh, you know, not too much. And, oh, you know, just a everyday sort of drink. And I've had customers who not too much is $50. I've had customers who's not too much is $10. I can't guess by looking at you or hearing your voice. Otherwise, I can just be a, a racist stereotyping bigot and just assume everything about people. But as it is, I just continue to ask the stupid question that feels, how much do I want to spend? And then from there, have to try and guess what their interpretation of value is by just vaguely saying things like, oh, okay, um, well, how about this for twenty five dollars? And look at their face, and then they just their, if their face all condenses like a, a, a chip packet that's been uh, completely used up, I realise that that was too much, and then I go down to the other side of it. Or then if if I say how about this, and then they go, well, we could do a bit better, couldn't we? I was like, oh, sorry, I didn't realise that you were wearing the fancy pants end of the cologne. So let's go up to the fifty dollar bottles. I, so I so can't my tell. my face. My face isn't contorted like the chip packet. What is your perception of value for money? Just yours. So take off your wine buying hat for a moment Hmm. and tell me your perception. So you're back on holidays. Where were you? Down in Barwon Heads and you're in that bottle shop and forgetting the bottle of delicious bottle of pick pool. Yeah. What, you, you've walked through the door, you've walked through the arch, and you think, gee, I'm after a great bottle here. What, what, are, you, what are you thinking? You, you, you're obviously not walking in and thinking, oh, I want a great bottle of Barolo, because I know you're not into Barolo, heaven forbid. But you are thinking, I want a great bottle. What, what's, give me, you know, is it is it something textural? Is it 25 bucks? What, you know, is it something light? What's that value meter saying for you? I think, I just like something that over delivers for price. Yep. To be honest with you. Because um, sometimes I will walk in there and think, you know, $50, I, I'm happy to spend that today. Sometimes it might be $20. You know, whatever I'm vibing, you know, in my 
budget bank accounts at the time. And then mm. just something that I think hits it out of the park for that. Um, so you're, you're budget-driven. Not everybody's budget I'm budget-driven, but not everybody is. Um, so if something over-delivers, would you be able to give me a price range that generally over-delivers in your opinion? Uh, it's odd because I work in a part of the industry where we have a lot of, uh, let's refer to them as bin ends. Yeah. So sometimes yeah. we get stuff that it might be like $13.50. And I think, gee, I'd pay $50 every day of the week for that. That's, oh, yeah. a, that's a really good wine. That's very undervalued. But the winery just needs to Clear move. Clear Valley Reason, you know. maybe. Oh, <laughs> Clear Valley Reason, maybe. But so, so, uh, it, it, there's been cases of Coonora um, Cabernet and, and Margaret River Chardonnay and, you know, Boston Shiraz, all all at price points where I'm just thinking, yeah, they just really needed to to dump that in a market just so they could do something else for a change. And it sort of skewers what your sense of what's really good is for, for value. So I I don't know. I All right. Okay. Let, let me line. rephrase the question. And I, yeah. I'm going to give you what I think is perceived value. Yeah, go on. Yeah. Uh, no, in a minute. But, but firstly, let, I want to drill down and try and quantify it for the listeners a little bit further. So... If you're looking for something that over-delivers weight for age, what's a varietal? Give me a couple of varietals. Ah. You mentioned Cabernet. I would mention Cabernet because I reckon a Coonawarra Cabernet, a classic Coonawarra Cabernet over-delivers bang for buck weight for age every time. But throw a couple of other varieties. At the other end of the scale, Pinot is incredibly difficult, right? So Pinot is out. So that's not going to be over an over-deliverer value marker for us. But give me a couple of white varieties that might be in your spectrum. I think the thing that uh, any listener, any anybody in the industry needs to know is uh, the cost that it is to make the wine, and that can be impacted by the cost of the fruit. And so uh, Pinot Noir, Shiraz, Cabernet, um, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, particularly at the moment over in New Zealand, they're all sort of A-list grapes. You put that on a label, you, your wine's going to sell a bit easier. It's um, the, 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 so there's there's a there's a premium cost with those. But if you pull something out like an anise, or um, maybe Malbec, maybe Nuo Diablo, uh, maybe Tempranillo, maybe um, or Veltliner. I mean, some of these are harder to grow, and therefore there's cost involved with that. But if you go to a shop and you find a great variety you haven't heard of before, there's a good chance that that Nebbiolo is going to be dollar for dollar much better than any Pinot you'll find in the shop. Yeah, well, that, that's good advice. Nearer to Avila, that's a um, that's a cracking call, actually. There, geez, there's some great stuff coming out of the Riverina and the Adelaide Hills that really, you know, for you know, sub thirty bucks, are just d- delicious drinking. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. So, so perceived value for me. You're right. You're so right. That, judging value for money is incredibly difficult because you've got to balance kind of, uh, yeah, like perception versus price or perfection versus scores. For the listeners out there, I think whatever your, however you judge value, that's yours. Everybody's got to judge values differently. I, I, I would kind of, I'm a bit more price driven and I love a wine 
And I think I always think you get good value when I when I worked on the retail counter. I always used to say if you're buying wine, domestic wine that is to drink, you're looking between that kind of twenty seven and forty forty five bucks at a stretch for the best value. Because what happens there at twenty five bucks, wines are no longer young vines and being flogged off for cheap. Ooh, and at, well, I don't at, at know that, about that. At that, well, hold that thought because we'll come back to it. And then at 45 bucks, you've got the leftover from the reserve wines or the great estate wines, which are being filtered down the line and being sold at that sub 50 range. So there is still a good margin there for some value. And so I, I reckon my perceived level of value, when I walk through that arch of the wine store, I'm looking at a wine general, to drink now or to take somewhere between that $27 and $45 mark to get something that over-delivers bang for buck. Yeah. Going back to go forward, you said you don't necessarily agree with that $25 marker. Why not? Oh, just because you said that anything below that is you know, made for uh, bulk consumption. And, and I disagree with that because I think there's – a lot of people making wine that's selling at around that twenty to thirty dollar price point. That's that punches. I don't know. Let's say above its weight for this. You know, a smaller producer or an unknown region. Like, I had a discussion with someone during the week about how do we sell this uh, cabernet. Cabernet is a great grape varietal. Why is it not selling? It's only eleven dollars a bottle. It's aged. You know, th- all those things are good. And I said, well, it's because it's from Bendigo. You know, it's, it's, and Bendigo's not, not really... Not the world's a, most sexiest Cabernet regions. No, no. I think, you know, if, if you could label that anything in South Australia, it wouldn't be still on the shelf. But um, I think one of the things, I suppose, to, to really answer your question in terms of where value comes, comes from, remembering that... Uh, what, I think we talked about this once before. Cost of production. There's, if if you if you tally up everything and try and pay people a living wage, um, a bottle of wine shouldn't cost you less than fifteen dollars a bottle. I think. Yep. Because uh, there's the cost of the juice, cost of the glass, cost of labelling and and bottling and and shipment and packaging and and and, and all the expertise that go into all, all those sorts of things. If you're paying less than fifteen dollars a bottle someone somewhere is having to cut corners at the very, very least. So every dollar you spend above $15, you're getting something better up to a point yep. where marketing takes over, whether you're talking about spending $1,000 on something and it's, it can't cost that. You know, There's not $1,000 worth of effort goes into making something. Just scarcity creates $1,000 worth of product. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think it was back in uh, episode nine where we discussed about <laughs> goon bags, temperature and half bottles and we were talking about cost of production. I didn't necessarily say that everything under 25 bucks is uh, not made for quality region reasons, but what I did say was that a lot of it is made from young vines, but also there is a lot of great $20 bottles of wine. And I've actually got a great mate who that's his marker of value. He wants to buy a $20 bottle of wine and he wants to find one that over-delivers some of the wines that he's come back with that actually have over-delivered. Uh, the St. Hallett's Eden Valley 
Riesling. It comes in a yellow bottle, um, which is just a, a cracker. Um, one of the other ones he um, found from WA was the Snake and Herring um, Tough Love Chardonnay, which isn't Margaret River. It's just labelled WA. He found he found a Pinot from Orange at twenty bucks, which he reckoned just over delivered weight for age. Um, was one of those rolling climbing. Yeah, well, it's high. It's one of the highest. Oh, it yeah, is it the is highest too. regional vineyards in uh, in the country. Yep. Cool climate. Um, and, and he just thought that over delivered. So for him, that twenty that twenty bucks was where he kind of that was his perceived value and. That's what he thought was good value drinking. For me, it's somewhere between, you know, let's say twenty-five bucks and forty-five bucks for drink now wines. For you, it's more something. It's just something that over delivers. It's not necessarily a, a cost ratio for you. It's just a varietal that over delivers. And you mentioned Cabernet. You mentioned Nero de Avila. I mentioned Riesling here on Luke's Talk Riesling. I would also mention Semillon. You mentioned Arnais from Italy. Thank you for throwing in another Italian grape variety will get you convinced to drinking Italian grape varieties anytime soon. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and so some of those grape varieties uh, and styles definitely represent top value and they are ones to look out for. I, I think some of the wines and some of the, the brands, I think if you're looking for good value, I always tell clients and customers to, to, to look for pedigree would you would you agree with that this day and age it's an old school opinion luke morris but would you agree with that um today uh yeah well that's that's sort of a different question in terms of if you're walking blind into a um uh a, a bulk store and you you know you're not going to get or you don't have much help from the wait staff or the wait staff the um uh the, the people shop working staff. there shop staff mm -hmm. the, the the attendants maybe they're you know busy stacking shelves or they you know pimply faced and don't have a, a lot of knowledge um uh <laughs> or maybe they're just over overworking there and really grumpy like the last guy i had to deal with <laughs> um but uh looking at really safe things is just very you know it's regionality even though some people over in the old world would say that we don't have um, regionality in Australia. We definitely do. If you if you get a Riesling from the Clare or a um, Shiraz uh, from Barossa or a Cabernet from Margaret River, you're going to more likely have a good time than um, if you don't follow those safe rules. It doesn't mean that rules can't be broken because in Australia and the new world we can break rules, but... Um, uh, if you want to go blind and uh, you just need a, something, you know, an easy tip, yeah, definitely uh, using those benchmarks. Semyon from the Hunter is probably going to be better than Semyon from Heathcote. doesn't mean that Heathcote can't make good Semyon. It just means if you're holding those two bottles side by side, you're safer going the Hunter Semyon. Perfect. That there takes was a segue there, wasn't there? There was. There was a segue there <laughs> leading into our listener question. And as Luke mentioned earlier, you can always get involved in the program, sending your questions to lukestalkwine at gmail.com. But our question this week for this week's episode 
is what is the difference between new world and old world? Luke Morris, this comes up a lot in our careers. Um, do you want to lead off here? Uh, the old world is the, um, the establishment of Europe and the new world is uh, everybody else. Yeah, the, the greatest acronym that I was taught when I was studying, which doesn't encompass all of the old world regions, but the major ones is FIGS, France, Italy, Germany, Spain, um, which Portugal. is a great one. And, well, it, uh, FIGS, F-I-G-S, there's only four letters. So, it, But as I mentioned, it doesn't cover the whole of North Africa or Europe or the Middle East. So, um, North Africa? Is you including North, North Africa? Egypt. Yeah, well, they're an old, they're, they're an old world uh, region. Yeah, absolutely. The wines in Morocco. Yeah. yeah, Shiraz and Iran. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then the New World is all of the Americas, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, um, and the like. Yep. What think of? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, go on. You, you tell me the difference. What do you reckon the difference is? Uh, a lot of attitude, a lot of, um, there's a lot more rules and regulations in the old world because they've got very firm histories of how and what they do. And um, they, some of them look down on the new world as um, uh, petulant children still learning the trade, whereas a lot in the new world just think we're, you know, we're breaking new grounds, whereas they're just toiling old soil. It's fraught with danger comparing the old world and the new world these days. I think our industry, the Australian wine industry, has grown up a lot. We're, we're no longer making wines that, you know, copy those styles. Like Rick Kinsborough at Giaconda is no longer making the styles of Merceau in Australia. He's now making his own style of Chardonnay. The you know but the great. Did we bemoan this before? Like when we were complaining that there's no one in Australia making Chablis because we'd we'd love to have a good Australian style Chablis, but we can't find it. Well, we we, we did. We we're still on the hunt. Uh, if anybody has any of our listeners out there have found an Australian Chablis, please reach out lukestalkwine at gmail because I now we still Sentio haven't found is one. Making a petite Chardonnay, but I got told that there's some oak in it, not by. Uh, Chris Catlow, who makes Sentio, but the uh, person in the shop. And I was like, that's very, very strange. Yeah, yeah. I, I think just being that he, he, although he's using the adage petite, he's just making it, it's it's his it's the little brother. It's it's not a reflection on the style. Not petite. He's making less Chablis less of it. He's making ish. a small batch of it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Chris Catlow. Actually, if you want to see more about Chris Catlow, you can have a look on my Instagram at vinified underscore wine underscore services. And our Thirsty Thursday chat with Chris Catlow uh, about halfway down the page was sensational, actually. He is one of the great wine minds if you're talking about Chardonnay and Pinot. But I digress. The differences between old world and new world wine. When it comes to terms, and they're a bit old-fashioned now, like new world and old world, there's a lot of confusion in store for you know the, the the new wine people amongst us, but really, as it was, it it gets a little obtuse. But it, uh, it was once described to me that the old world brings all the traditions, 
and the new world brings all the kind of technology and mechanization for want of a better term. But I, I think there's probably more to that. There's probably more to it than meets the eye, Luke Morris. You think? To be honest with you, I, I remember someone saying a little while ago that this debate is over. There's, it, it's, it's almost not. I mean, they're labels, but what good are they? Why do we, why do we need the word terms old world and new world, Campbell? Very good question. I, I think new, new world wines tend to be, uh, in, in my opinion, the label screams out for a fuller wine. And then when you hear the term old world, I'm already thinking aged with a lighter body, lower alcohol, these type of things, higher acidity. But that doesn't give credit to wines from the south of France or many wines within Spain or Portugal these days or uh, the wines that, you know, some wines coming out of, um, say, Ostia or even the Alsace, which are still quite lovely and fresh and drinking now. I mean, it's, it's implying that, you know, everybody is, is stuck in a stigma of old world or new world and you can't just make wine. Oh, I don't. I don't know if everybody's stuck in a stigma. That's a bit harsh, isn't it? Like, I. I, I think really. Yeah, go on. Uh, uh, yeah, no. Who, who's stuck in a stigma? The Portuguese winemakers who have been making no, Madeira I, for centuries are they stuck in? Are they stuck in a stigma? Oh, they've, well, they've got some uh, traditions, but there's also people in the, in in Portugal who are making bright and vibrant Albarinos and, and terrific stuff like that. And I just, you know, it's. Vina Verdes and, and they say the style is that the old world is is a bit stodgy and but they're not and the new and the new world is also not just all breaking new grounds. I think there's just I, th- I think it used to be a petulant little argument that um, particularly the old world more so and the emerging new world used to argue against each other to create a differentiation but I think they're more so than not, it's it's not a world of the world of wine is is more global now than it used to be, and there's well, sure yeah, there's but we're, we're all colonised by Europeans. Like that's what started with those ideas. So yeah. there's got to be some blowback. Yeah, but is it still is it worth continuing with it? Oh, is it worth continuing? Um, well, I mean, I understand the historical taken... use of it, but I think we've moved on. Our discussion's taken off a bit of a tangent, but is it is it still worthy of utilising the term? That's a good point. Can't we just all make wine? I, I've probably come around. I think you're right. I think we can all make wine. But for the purpose of the listener, to answer the listener's questions, Rod from Cremorne in, I don't know, no, Cremorne in New South Wales, uh, it is how... The, the difference between old and new world, it's, it's tradition versus technology. It is absolutely climactic. In the old world, as Luke Morris mentioned earlier, you know, they have boundaries and rules. In the new world, we can do anything we want for, within reason. Um, but beyond that, Luke's taken us on another tangent there. Do we even need the terms? Well, you're probably right. With the light, with the everyone from China to the Middle East and whatever, and beyond North Africa making wine now, jeez. 
I don't, know. I, mean, I don't know if you need the terms anymore. You, you're quite no. right. You raise a very interesting point, Luke Morris. I, I understand in terms of when you when you stand there and you play the game of options, and the first question is, okay, this wine that you we have a wine that's masked. You only the person serving the wine can knows what the bottle is, and they say, have a guess. Do you think this is from the old world or new world? And everyone trying to have that guess, you know, we we tend to think about you know, what great bridal it might be, sort of winemaking influences it could have. And um, and within that, uh, the, the, the the characteristics of the, the fruit, because obviously terroir impacts the, the wine, so we might be thinking, oh, well, this is quite some, there's a lot, this is very ripe fruit, therefore we're thinking it's probably more in a, a riper, warmer area like a Australia than a cooler area which might be, I don't know, France as, a, as an example. So we use them and they're useful. I just don't think it's more useful than trying to do, I don't think, I don't think it's, I don't, I don't know if there should be a versus. Yeah, well, and fair I don't, enough. And, I, and I, I sometimes think that, I don't, I can't, I'm trying to remember the last time we I did options, which is probably with you, and how accurate everyone could still be with that, where it used to be very easy. You used to just say dirty wine making versus clean wine making, and that was the difference. Yeah. And now it's Goss the Merceau that we had at the last lunch we had. I yeah. thought I thought that was New World because I thought they were so bright and there was such clarity in that wine. I thought, gee, this is made by someone who's you know washed a tank or two. And yeah, very true. I thought that was New World too. It's a very good example, actually. Yeah, I think it's terms that we used to use, but I don't think it's. I, I think it's 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 good for uh, auction houses. No longer relevant is what you're saying. Yeah. Luke Morris says the old world's no longer relevant. <laughs> <laughs> All right, pal. We've come to the end of this episode, but I really want to know what you've been drinking, if anything at all. It is Feb fast out there, but have you? What have you been drinking? Anything uh, refreshing? Anything textural? Anything natural? Anything orange? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> have you been drinking anything at all? Uh, oh, a, a lot of water. I've been getting back into fun runs and uh, uh, doing distance running, and I'm actually selling some wine. I'd like to give a quick shout out to Langtons for being a completely crap business, and uh, a big, big shout out to MW Wines you know, who for being an excellent business. Uh, thank you, Linesman. Thank you, Ball Boys. I'm not employed to comment on either. Make those comments. I'm just calling it like I see it. Thank How you very much, you LVC. Uh, mate, I have uh, after last week's episode and your striking um, statement that all petulant naturals are, I think, quote unquote. I have to go back and listen, but I'm paraphrasing. I think you said all pet nats are rubbish. No, I didn't say I all. Thought, I said one in six. One in, one one in six, six is good. <laughs> you got the one, one in, in six, six that actually has fizz and character. <laughs> Well, I actually thought I just gotta, you know, I'm gonna revisit this uh, phenomenon that is pet nat action, and and I went out and got myself a bottle of uh, pet nat. Uh, I got a bottle of uh, Astro Bunny, as it was from Tim Wildman. He's an MW. He makes wine out of the Riverina here in Australia. He also makes wine back in Old Blighty. Um, but his Astro Bunny, it's actually on our site, vinified. 
www.thegreatlakes.com.au and it's a sparkling and it's sensational at about 30 bucks, 30% Zabibo and all these underrated varieties, 25% Fiano, Aranace, Nera d'Avila and a splash of Mataro. It was pink and it tasted like a crunchy peach Bellini. It was utterly delicious. Bit of fun in the sun with fish and chips on a Friday night. I just didn't miss Luke Morris. It was absolutely <laughs> delicious. Good. Uh, yeah, so that was about no, the extent no. of my drinking. Enjoy it. <laughs> and it wasn't rubbish. And it wasn't, it was the one, as you say, out of six that was good. But if I had another one of it, I bet it would have been equally good. Ah, he's, he's cracked the code. He's got consistency in the pet net world. Yes. So I think, you know, it's for probably, people it's out probably there. probably all that experience uh, he's got from uh, working in the old world, then in the new world, then in the old world again. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I, I think, you know, like Petnat is a style that you, you should at least try. It. Like Petnat is petulant natural. Like, and it's a natural sparkling. It's a catch-all term these days for practically any sparkling wine that's made method ancestral like just bottle fermentation effectively um and they don't add a liqueur to make it bubble even more it's just the natural bubble um so it's just the first just the primary fermentation that's it the primary fermentation well it's it's you know it loosely translates to you know naturally sparkling so um I think it's something we could all and good value, you know, twenty five bucks. I think it's uh, harking back to our earlier topic for this episode. I think it's well worth uh, seeking out a pet nat, whether it's Astro Bunny or any of the others. Um, Murdoch Hill. There's another. I won't reel off a heap, but there's some stunning ones coming out of Adelaide Hills, South Australia, Tassie, um, Canberra. There's a whole host of great pet nats out there, and they're generally lower in sugar as well. For those conscious of their sugar intake and carbs. Carbs. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Yes, mate. But hey, it's been another fantastic week. We'll wrap it up there. And um, will you be back next week? Uh, unless I get employed by someone um, better, I'll be back. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, I've been Luke Campbell. You can find me on the gram at vinified underscore wine underscore services. And he's been Luke Morris, and we are Luke's Talk Wine. And in the words of Tony Barber, keep smiling and bye for now. Bye. Vinified are the wine seller's specialists. We're Australia's only personal sommelier service. Our sommeliers work with you to build your cellar. Our aim is to bring you the wines from the freshest new producers, all based on your tastes. We can come to you, source your wines, present tastings. Think of Vinified as your wine concierge. We can do retail, we can do tastings, we can host your dinner parties, or we can procure you that rare wine. Vinified is proud to be associated with Luke's Talk Wine. www.vinified.com dot au